Well, good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. Um, always love gathering with God's people on the Lord's Day, worshiping and spending time in the Word. Uh, so we are taking a little one-week break uh, in our series in the book of Ephesians. We've been walking through Ephesians. We're taking a one-week break because uh, I just really, uh, just to be honest with you, this past week felt it pretty heavily impressed upon me to, uh, to teach from this passage. Uh, John chapter 6, verses 35 to 40 is where we're going to be. Uh, the book of John is in the New Testament. Uh, it's after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's one of the four Gospels. It's just before you get to Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and we're in chapter 6, and we're going to be in verses 35 to 40. While you're turning there, I did want to let you know, because I realize, I don't know if I've ever said this from the front, uh, so we actually have some resources, uh, like these books in the, uh, at the connections table out front. Those are free for you to take. Like, they're, you don't have to pay for them, you don't have to donate money for them or anything. They're there just for your own edification, and there's a lot of great little booklets up there that deal with different topics that have to do with the Christian life that are really helpful, short reads. So I'd encourage you, look through those, take them so that I have to buy more, because uh, I'll let you in on a secret, I love to buy books. Uh, it's actually, you might need to pray for me, it can be a bit of a problem. Yeah, exactly, right? So there probably need, I probably need some sort of like group that I could start going to. Hi, my name's Jared, and I'm a book addict or something like that, right? Um, so yeah, I love books, and I hope that you'll take them. That's what they're for. Uh, they're there to help you guys. Just a pastoral resource. Um, and, and we're here as your pastors too as a resource. Uh, I just I want you to know uh, if, if you need counseling, uh, in, in any area of your life, if, there's, if you need to talk to somebody, myself, Andrew, Keith, as your pastors are here for you, and we'd love to meet with you and talk with you. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read John 6, 35 to 40. Oh, wait, one more thing, I forgot. Baby dedication, July the 9th. We're going to do, so we were going to do it for next week, a baby dedication, but time caught up with us and we're not ready. So July the 9th, if you have a child, baby, that you would like to... Uh, dedicate for the Lord. Um, that does not mean baptism, by the way. Dedication, uh, yeah. That, uh, dedication is simply uh, you as a parent making the commitment to raise your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we as a church family agreeing to pray for you and to help disciple you and to help you grow as a parent in that journey of parenthood. Uh, and so if you would like to do that, please let us know over the next week. You can come and talk to me or Andrew or you can email us, whatever, but uh, just let us know so that we can go ahead and start planning for that. Okay, now I'm going to read John 6, 35 to 40, and then I'm going to pray and ask for God's help, and then we'll dive in. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. What wonderful promises are contained in that passage that we just read. And Holy Spirit, I pray now for your help that you would help me, that you would speak through me, that you would preach a better sermon than I could ever preach. Lord, what am I? I'm a jar of clay. Everything I have comes from you. My ability to talk, any of my gifts, just like we sang, it's your breath that's in my lungs. God, every single thing, anything good I have comes from you. You sustain me and everyone in this room moment by moment. So I pray that Jesus, you would be magnified in this time together. That people would not see Jared, that they would see Jesus, that you would be made much of and that you would help me in my weakness. And I pray that you would help all of us to hear, give us ears to hear, oh God. Lord, I pray that that your people would hear these promises and believe and that we would leave here with our hearts bursting with joy as we consider what is promised to whoever comes to Jesus. And I pray that for those who have never come to Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, who have never truly heard the voice of Christ, the Holy Spirit drawing them, I pray that today they would hear Your voice and hear these promises and hear this call as good news and receive it and that that some who have walked in here this morning dead in their sin would walk out alive in Christ. And God, only you can do that. You are sovereign over salvation. Only you can raise the dead to life. So I pray that you do it this morning. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was reading this passage last week, what leapt off the page to me is that Jesus makes three specific promises to whoever comes to me. Jesus says in this short passage, He says, whoever comes to Me shall never hunger or thirst. He says, whoever comes to Me will never be cast out. And He says, whoever comes to Me will be raised on the last day. In other words, whoever comes to Jesus will receive eternal satisfaction, eternal security, and eternal life. This is a, this, these are free promises made to whoever will come. My prayer is that by the time you leave here, you'll be just as astonished and overjoyed at what I just told you as I was this week when I read it. Like, I, I, I want to try to take the, the joy that, that I found in that this week and put it into your heart. I know I can't do that. I know only the Holy Spirit can do that, but that's my prayer. My, my first aim this morning is to encourage believers with these incredible promises. Because here's the thing, while we may know these truths in our heads, in practice, we have a difficult time allowing them to really settle in our hearts such that it changes the way that we view life and, and the way that we go about our day-to-day lives. There's a fountain of good news in these few verses for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so my prayer is that we'll leave here today with our hearts leaping for joy and full of confidence. 
And for those of you who are not Christians, who are not followers of Jesus, first of all, I'm really glad that you're here. And I've been praying for you all week. I want you to know that. I've been praying for you all week. And I want you to know that there is incredibly good news for you as well here in this passage. It's an invitation to end your vain search for satisfaction in worldly pleasures that won't last. It's an invitation to stop your futile efforts to try to earn your way to heaven by your own good works. Deep down, you know that you need a Savior. And my prayer is that this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will see that Jesus is the one you've been looking for, that you would see Him in all of His beauty this morning as He reveals Himself. The main point of the sermon this morning is that anyone who comes to Jesus will be satisfied and secure for all of eternity. Anyone who comes to Jesus will be satisfied and secure for all of eternity. There is someone at the door. <laughs> hey, we need to make sure that door stays unlocked back there, guys. Just FYI. Um, so, or like prop it open. <laughs> There's literally... Have you guys ever had the doorbell ring during a church service before? That's, I, don't th- I think that might be a first. I've had some weird stuff happen being the pastor of church plants over the last eight plus years. But that might be a first. I've never had the doorbell ring. I love it. All right. So first, I want to look at this first promise in verse 35. Whoever comes to Jesus will have eternal satisfaction. So Jesus says, he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I think it would be helpful to set some context here uh, to kind of explain what was going on. So the day before, Jesus had been teaching the crowds out kind of in in a wilderness area and it was getting late and he said to his disciples where are we going to get bread for all these people Jesus knew the answer but he wanted to test the disciples and his disciples are like Jesus there's no way we're going to get enough bread for all these people like we don't have enough money there's nowhere to go buy bread and Jesus says tell you what have them sit down in groups of 50 and is there any food at all and they say well all we've got are five loaves of bread and, and two fish and Jesus says okay bring it to me and Jesus, he, he prays and he thanks the Father for the bread and the fish. And then he breaks the bread and he gives it to the disciples and he says, I want you guys to start passing it out. And so they start passing out the bread and the fish. And, and, and mind you, there's 5,000 men plus women and children there. So some scholars estimate there could have been around 20,000 people uh, here in the wilderness And they have five loaves of bread and two fish and they just keep passing it out and passing it out until everybody has had their fill and everybody's stuffed. Like when you go to to Chewy's and you get the free chips and salsa and you eat too much of it and then you also eat your enchiladas and you leave and you're completely stuffed. Like people were full. And then there's, and afterwards, not only is everyone full, there's 12 baskets of leftover food. And the people are astonished. Well, later that evening, Jesus knows that what they're really after, they're after the food, and he knows that they want to try to make him king, and so he kind of he disappears. He goes to spend some time with the Father, and then uh, at night he uh, crosses over uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee by walking on water, which is another amazing thing, we'll, another sermon uh, uh, for another time. So he crosses over to Capernaum, and the people the next day are like, where did Jesus go? And they go looking for him. 
And finally, they find him. And they find Jesus. But Jesus knows why they followed him. And he says, you guys aren't looking for me because you understood the sign. You're just looking for me because you want more food. You want more bread. They wanted seconds. They, they tasted and they saw that the bread is good. And they wanted more. And Jesus says in verse 27 of John 6, he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. You see, they didn't see Jesus as God's provision. They saw him as the means to an end. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted the bread that Jesus could give them. They were so distracted by temporal needs that they looked right past their true need. And it's not that God doesn't care about our temporal needs. He does. And Jesus teaches in Matthew 6 that He says, look at the birds of the air, how they neither toil nor spin, and yet God feeds them, right? How much more will He provide for you, O you of little faith? God provides for our temporal needs, but Jesus wants us to come to Him to have the right needs met. The crowds weren't coming to Jesus because they understood who he was, but because they wanted their bellies filled. And don't we do the same thing? Even those of us who are believers in this room do this. It's easy to sing, you know, Jesus is all I want, or Jesus is my treasure when things are going well. But what about when circumstances are shaky in life? Or when we're enduring a season of suffering? or when God didn't answer that prayer the way that we wanted Him to. It's amazing how quickly we can start searching for worldly comforts to satisfy us. And sometimes we'll think that we're looking to Jesus because we're praying, but we're actually going to Jesus in prayer because we want to get something from Him, and we're completely missing the fact that He Himself is the one that we need. He is our provision. We don't need to go to Him to get stuff from Him. We need to go to Him to get Jesus. And I've got news for you. There is nothing that Jesus could ever give you besides Himself that will ever satisfy you. I want to say that again. There is nothing that Jesus could ever give you besides Himself that could ever satisfy you. Jesus is the bread of life who came down to give life to the world. Now, why is it that Jesus is all-satisfying? What does it mean that He's the bread of life? Well, it means that He is God's provision for life. In Jesus, we have all that we need to sustain life. Just as you need bread every day to sustain your physical life, you need Jesus to sustain your spiritual life. Apart from connection to Jesus, spiritually you will die. And physically, eventually, you'll die. The reason that we're so dissatisfied is because we constantly turn to created things rather than the Creator to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. I mean, everybody's thirsty. Everybody in the world is thirsty and has this deep, innate sense that, that there's something missing in their lives and they go searching and they turn to all sorts of things to try to fill that void. 
whether it's success in a career or money or pleasure or whatever it might be. And anything that you go to apart from Jesus is like trying to satiate your thirst with salt water when you're lost at sea. All it's going to do is bring you to a quicker death. It's not going to satisfy. And not only does it not satisfy, but it's idolatrous rebellion against God because you are worshiping and serving the things that God has created and you're completely overlooking the Creator Himself. That's the essence of sin. But Jesus, in His mercy, offers Himself to unworthy sinners. Even though we've all done this, He's extending an open invitation. Whoever comes to Me, Notice two things about Jesus' invitation here when He says, whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. First of all, the invitation is easy. You simply come to Him. You don't need to fix your life up first. You don't have to be a really good person. You don't have to understand a certain level of doctrine. You don't need to be holy. You just need to be hungry. You just have to come. That's the only qualification. Recognize, I'm hungry, I need Jesus, and come. That's the invitation. Secondly, you're invited to a person. Jesus says, come to me. Coming to Jesus is more than just intellectual assent. It's more than just having a belief in your head that yes, I acknowledge that at one time a man named Jesus walked the earth and he died on a cross and rose from the dead and like it's it's more than that when we come to Jesus we're coming to a person we're we're coming to him because we want him because we believe he can satisfy the hunger of our souls John Calvin commenting on this verse he said that faith does not look at Christ only as at a distance but embraces him that he may become ours and may dwell in us. Faith doesn't look at Christ only at a distance, but embraces Him. Faith is feasting. Faith is feasting. Uh, I love the way that the parable of the treasure hidden in the field illustrates this. Who remembers the parable of the treasure hidden in the field? Right? So Jesus says that this is the kingdom of God is like a man who is walking through a field and, and, and he discovers this treasure hidden in the field, like this big chest filled with gold and silver. And, and, and in his joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can go and buy that field. Why does he sell everything that he has? Why does he turn away from everything that he had been living for? Because he's found something that makes that's infinitely more valuable, that's infinitely greater, that's worth turning away from everything that he has to go and buy it. He sees it's, it's a no-brainer decision for him. And that's what it's like to come to Jesus. It's realizing that Jesus is the one that you were made for. He's the only one that can satisfy you. He's not just a gift. He's the giver of all good gifts. Like, why would you want the stagnant pool when you can have the spring? Why would you want a couple of gifts when you can have the giver as your father? That's why Jesus is worth leaving everything behind to follow. And that's what it looks like to come to him in faith. That's what faith is. Like, if you're not willing to leave behind the things of the world to follow Jesus, you don't have saving faith. That's what saving faith is. It's, it's trusting He's the bread of life. 
He's the one who will satisfy. And this invitation is to everyone. I love the way that Isaiah 55 puts this invitation. And if you, I just want you, if you're here this morning and if, and if you say, yeah, Jared, I'm not a Christian. I, I would say, yeah, I'm not a follower of Jesus right now. Or maybe you say, I'm not sure. I just want you to hear these words from Isaiah 55. He says, the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then listen to this, this reasoning, this plea. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. Hear His voice. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. What Isaiah is saying is, why are you striving after the wind? Why are you working so hard to try to find satisfaction in that which is not bread? It's not going to satisfy you. The, the, the all-satisfying bread of heaven is available to you for free. You don't, you don't need any money. You don't, you don't need to bring anything to the table. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's the invitation. C.S. Lewis wrote one time, he said, if you find within yourself a hunger that nothing in this world can satisfy, it means that you were made for another world. Deep down, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know you're not satisfied. You know the things of this world can't satisfy you. It's because you were made for another world. You were made to know God. You're made in God's image. And as an image bearer, deep down, you know it. Let me invite you to receive the free grace of God this morning. And here's the deal. I know that one of the things that, like, like you would, we'll talk in a second here about, you know, who would refuse such an invitation? It seems like a no-brainer, right? Like it's free. Literally free. The most satisfying, precious treasure in all of the universe. And, it's, and by the way, the promises are going to get better when we look at the next two. Like, like but wait, there's more, right? <laughs> like, the, uh, like you see in the infomercials, there really is more. So why would somebody refuse an offer like this? One of the reasons is because people think, know instinctively that if I acknowledge that there is a God and that He's real and that I need to come to Him, then that means I've got to deal with my sin because I know I've sinned against Him. And there's a fear in that. And I understand that because that, that's a good, it's a good fear in a way. We're right to, to have a fear of God and to understand that God is holy and that if we've sinned against Him, that that is something that ought to concern us. But that's why, the, that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why Jesus bore your punishment on the cross in your place so that you don't have to be afraid to come to him and to confess your sin because you're not going to be met with judgment. You're going to be met with mercy and grace. And as we're going to see in a minute, that's what God delights to do. Uh, this invitation to come to Jesus as the all-satisfying bread from heaven is not just for non-believers it's for believers to continue to come to him again and again and again. Because here's what I know. Some of you who are Christians in this room would admit that you don't feel satisfied in your life right now. You feel discontent. And that's likely because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and you've put them on to some other thing. 
Our fickle hearts are prone to wonder and to look elsewhere for satisfaction, even after initially coming to Jesus as the bread of life. Which is why we need to come to him again and again and again, looking away from our circumstances to the only one who can truly satisfy our spiritual hunger and thirst. If you don't continue to come to Jesus to satisfy your hunger and thirst, then like a branch detached from the vine, you will wither up. You'll have no spiritual vitality. Remember, it's Jesus who sustains life. You don't need his stuff. You don't need him to answer that one prayer in a very specific way so that your life circumstances can turn out the way that you want him to. You need him. You need him. What are some practical ways that you can come to Jesus? First of all, like if there are things in your life that are keeping you from abiding in him through regular Bible reading and prayer, then you need to put boundaries around those things. And if you don't have the self-control to put boundaries, you need to cut them out of your life, right? Like if you are finding yourself discontent and dissatisfied, but you also play video games for 10 hours a week, then basically you're trying to subsist on a spiritual diet of potato chips. And you're wondering why you're spiritually sick. It's because all you eat are potato chips for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's why you're spiritually sick. You need real food. And Jesus is real food, right? Uh, video games, TV, whatever. Sports, your career, working extra hours at work, whatever it is that's replacing Jesus, even if you got to cut that thing out. A couple years after I started following Jesus, I loved playing Xbox, and that's why I use a video game illustration. And I, and I realized, like, I was struggling in some areas of my walk with the Lord. I wasn't walking in intimacy with Him. And I realized it's because I was playing video games, and I couldn't stop. I just loved to do it, and so I sold that Xbox, and I never never picked one up again, and I haven't played video games really since, right? That was, I'm not telling you that you have to sell your Xbox to be a faithful Christian, but I am telling you that if it's getting in the way and you can't have any self-control over it, then cut off the hand, gouge out the eye. Cut off, oh, no. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, Cut off your hand or gouge out your eye if it's causing you to sin. It's a metaphor. Don't literally do it, please. Um, metaphorically be willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to put away sin or anything that's coming between you and Jesus. Another uh, couple of, of helpful uh, things is maybe you need to go on a one-day retreat with no technology and just get away and spend a day just you, a Bible, a notepad, and a pen. And just spend some time with the Lord. Or maybe you need to begin fasting again. And take one day a month or one day a week just fasting. Maybe it's for one meal to start. And you spend that time that you would normally spend eating lunch. You spend that time diligently and earnestly seeking God in prayer and in His Word. As a way to practically say, Jesus, I'm going to look to you for my satisfaction. And to you as my bread of life. Now, although it's easy to come to Jesus, many do not. And Jesus says in, in verse 36 here in our text, He says, But I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet do not believe. The next three verses explain why, and also contain an incredible promise for those who do believe. So let's look at verses 37 to 39. Jesus promises that whoever comes to Him will have eternal security 
Let me read that, that passage again in verse 37. He says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. All that the Father has given me will come to me. So the insinuation here is that if they do not come, then they have not been given to him by the Father. This is plain a few verses later in verse 44. Jesus says in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because of what we learned in Ephesians chapter 2. Because we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins apart from Christ. In our sinful state apart from Jesus, we would never come to him. We could never come to him. We're dead. dead what can a dead person do? Nothing. Can a dead person ask for help? Can a dead person reach out for a life raft? No. Dead is dead. It means absolutely and utterly helpless, complete darkness. The only way that dead man is coming alive is this someone else more powerful than death comes from the outside and chooses to raise them to life. Spiritually, that is what must happen in us. And the reason is because of what Romans 1 says. God has given us up in the lusts of our hearts to impurity. We chose to worship and serve the things of creation rather than the Creator, and God, in His judgment against humanity, has said, fine, take it. And now we're darkened in our understanding, and we need the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual life, to open our spiritual eyes, or else we cannot see Jesus as the bread of life. Now, even though we can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws us, God does not drag us to Jesus against our will. The Holy Spirit actually changes our heart and our will so that we freely choose to come to Jesus. The grace of God is powerful enough to overcome human resistance to God's grace. So it's possible to resist God's grace, and people do it all the time. Non-believers resist God's grace all the time. But... When the Father draws someone to the Son, the Holy Spirit comes in and He gives new spiritual life and He changes the will or the desire of that person who once resisted God's grace and gives them the desire now to come to Jesus, to receive God's grace. And so then the person freely chooses to come to Jesus because their wills have been changed by the Spirit of God. But apart from this working of God by the Spirit, we'll continue to resist God's grace. That's why no one can come to the Son unless they're drawn by the Father. But once God opens your eyes to see Jesus, to really see Him, you can't help but come to Him. Because once you've really seen Him, there's nothing more beautiful, more lovely, more magnificent, more glorious than Jesus. Right? It's like, it's like once you've seen the Grand Canyon... And then you got try to go to, I don't know, I don't know my national park, but some other national park that's not as cool as the Grand Canyon. It's just going to be like, well, this isn't as good as the Grand Canyon, right? And that's what you're going to think. And you're gonna, it, can't, it doesn't get better than this. Once you've seen Jesus, you know. You can't help but come to him. And I want, here's why I wanted to, to, to spend a little bit of time on this. It's because this 
right here, what I just shared with you, is the foundation of your eternal security. Because you had nothing to do with the coming, you have nothing to do with the keeping. It was the will of the Father to draw you to the Son while you were still in your sin, so your sin is not going to surprise Him or make Him change His mind. Does that make sense? God chose to draw you to the Son so that He could make you His own and so that He could make you holy. Ephesians 1.4 says that He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God did not do this because He needed something from us. He was not lonely and desiring to have some companionship. God is triune. He's been in perfect fellowship with Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity, perfectly happy. He was not in any way obligated to save us or to keep us. He does so because He desires to, because He wants to. That's why verse 38 is so key. The next verse, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. What this is telling us is that it is the will or the desire of both the Father and the Son that none be cast out. This is their desire. And by the way, it's the Holy Spirit's desire too. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit until we gain possession of our inheritance. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all desire to keep and to ensure that not one of those who comes to Jesus is ever cast out. We are, not, we are not only kept because God decreed it, but because He desires it. I love how Luke, Jesus puts it in Luke 12, 32. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Why is it God's good pleasure to give the kingdom to weak, sinful, inconsistent, wavering, wandering people like us, sheep like us, because the weaker we are, the more helpless we are, the more sinful we are, the more His grace is magnified. This promise is in the Bible because Jesus knows that our unbelieving hearts are frequently tempted to doubt His love. We're we're frequently tempted to believe that at any moment He's going to grow sick and tired of our repeated failings, and He's going to cast us out. That's why this promise is in the Bible. He knows that. He knows that you struggle with that. We tend to think that as believers, our ongoing sin will repel Jesus and cause Him to, to hold His nose around us. Like, yeah, even if you, if you have confidence that, okay, I mean, He promised to keep us, and so, you know, Jesus is a man of His word, and so I'm sure He will, but He probably doesn't really want to. Right? He does it because he has to, but, but this passage dispels any such notions. It's the will, the desire of the Father and the Son that you not be cast away. He does not do so begrudgingly. Jesus drives this home in the way that he says it in verse 37. When he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I, you know, I don't like to, to pull the Greek card a whole lot when I'm preaching, but I think it's important here because... Uh, there's actually two, there's, uh, there's two negatives there, ooh, me, 
And in English, if you were to read it, it would basically say something like, whoever comes to me, I will not not cast out. And in the Greek, the reason that they would do that is they would, they would repeat something uh, negatives like that to emphasize something. So really, the way we could read what Jesus is trying to say here is, whoever comes to me, I will most certainly never, ever, under any circumstances, cast out. Absolutely not. I will absolutely not cast out. In fact, it's our very sin and weakness that draws out Jesus' compassion for us. What did Jesus do when He came in the flesh? What did He do? He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. He touched lepers. He chose 12 ragamuffin people to be His disciples. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He didn't start, stop being like that once He ascended into heaven. It wasn't like, well, that's what Jesus was like when He walked on the earth, but now He's not like that anymore. No, that's still who Jesus is. Jesus has not changed. He's still the Jesus that touches lepers and who goes and eats dinner with tax collectors and with prostitutes. And you think your sin is going to repel Him? You think your sin is going to make Him hold His nose? That He's getting tired of you and that He doesn't want anything more to do with you? Brother and sister, no way. No way. Your sin draws out His compassion. He wants to move towards you. He wants to draw you in in your sin. He will most certainly not cast you out. But, but Lord, I, I keep giving in to that besetting sin I will never cast out. But I keep doubting Your promises I will never cast out. But my thought life has been so impure I will never cast out. But I've backslidden in my faith I will never cast out. But I've been unfaithful to share the Gospel I will never cast out. No matter what you come up with, every possible reason we could come up with for Jesus to cast us out is refuted right here in verse 37. Under no condition whatsoever will a single saint be lost. We, Most of you know we adopted our three children. They could sin against me over and over again and provoke me over and over again, and sometimes they do. But there is nothing they could ever do that would make me give them up or change my mind, right? And if I did, you would probably think, what a terrible father, right? For me to decide, you know what? I'm tired of these children disobeying me. I'm going to give them back up. I'm not going to be their father anymore. If not even I would do that, why would you think that God would ever do that to you? He's infinitely greater of a father than I could ever be. He would never think of it. He would never think of it. Now, there's one more promise that Jesus makes, and it's a key one. If we could be assured all we want that Jesus will never cast us out, but if Jesus has no power over death, then these promises cannot truly comfort us. Because, yeah, sure, we could enjoy the love and comfort of the Father now. We can enjoy His good gifts now, but death is just going to steal everything in the end. But Jesus does not just love us perfectly and eternally. He rescues us from death. In verse 39, he says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
that promise to raise us up on the last day is actually tied to his previous promise not to cast us away. Notice there in verse 39, he says, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. So what that's telling us is that were Jesus to not raise us up on the last day would be for Jesus to lose one that the Father's given. He says, I'm not going to lose any that the Father's given me. I am going to raise them up on the last day. What that means is that just as we cannot be torn from the Father and the Son due to our own sin, we cannot be torn from the Father and the Son by death. Death cannot tear you from the Father and the Son. Jesus is perfect in love and power, and He will not lose a single one to death. He will raise up every single one who comes to Him. If Jesus did not raise you on the last day, that would mean that He had failed in His mission to do all that the Father sent Him to do, and Jesus will not fail. Jesus cannot fail. He's already demonstrated His power over death in His own resurrection. The reason that Jesus is able to give us life is through His death and resurrection. Jesus has secured the victory. Death is the wages for our sin. It's the dark cloud that hangs over all of humanity. And we are powerless to remove it because our guilt needs to be atoned for. It's the wages for our sin. That's why death has entered into the world. It's the curse for sin. And Jesus is the only one who could defeat death on our behalf. Listen to what he says in a few verses later in verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the bread that Jesus gave to give life to those enslaved to death is his flesh. Jesus died to bear our sins on the cross. And when you eat of this bread, which is like a metaphor for believing in him, it's or coming to him, his sacrifice is applied to you. That now, the bread of Jesus' broken body now sustains your spiritual life when you come to him in faith. And this removes your death sentence because now your debt has been paid in full because Jesus isn't in the grave anymore. Once he rose up from the dead, that means that the debt is finished. It's been paid. And Jesus did not stay dead, right? He's alive, and because he's alive, he has the authority to forgive our sin and the power to raise us with him. Now, don't miss the significance of the meaning of being raised on the last day. When believers die, our bodies go into the ground, will return to dust, but our spirit is immediately present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Psalm 16 says, in His presence, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Instantly, when you draw your last breath, you'll be in the presence of the Lord. Your spirit will be in the presence of the Lord and it will be a joy unlike anything you've ever experienced and you will rest. But it gets better. Because upon Jesus' return, Jesus is going to return to the earth 
And when he does, our physical bodies will be raised from the dead. Our spirits will be united to our bodies. And our bodies will be raised imperishable and incorruptible and in a glorified form. Paul likens it to a seed being buried in the ground and then coming up out of the ground as a plant. I realize I forgot my prop, but it's all right. But think about it like a sunflower seed. You you know what a sunflower seed looks like, right? They're not impressive, are they? They're gray and kind of blackish and they're small. There's nothing special about them. But isn't it incredible that when a sunflower seed, when you bury it in the ground, there should be a picture maybe, when you bury it in a ground and it dies, somehow it begins to take life and it begins to grow and it ends up looking like that. And what was once this little ugly seed turns into this beautiful sunflower. And Paul says, that's what our resurrected bodies are going to be like. They're going to be physical, right? The same substance as far as physical, uh, as far as having a physical flesh and blood body, but they're going to be far more glorious than they look right now. For one thing, they're not going to be in pain. They're not going to grow old. They're not going to die. All the effects of the fall are going to be completely reversed. And we, our bodies, will live forever, and we will live forever. And not only will our bodies be renewed, but all of creation is going to be renewed. There will be perfect peace. The earth will be restored to an Eden-like state, except infinitely better. But the best part of all is that the dwelling place of God will be with man. God's very presence will dwell on the earth in the new creation with us. And that is the certain outcome for whoever comes to Jesus. I'll talk to people a lot of times when we're out sharing the gospel, and sometimes when we ask people how we can pray for them, Uh, mainly as a way of deflecting, sharing anything personal, they'll say, oh, just pray for peace in the earth or something like that, right? But but I get it, right? There, There is a longing within us for peace on the earth. And friends, this is how it's going to be brought about. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who's going to make everything wrong right. He's, as it says in the Lord of the Rings, everything sad will become untrue because of the work of Jesus upon His return. Sin and death and Satan will be vanquished. This is the certain outcome for whoever comes to Jesus. Your future is not in question. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anyone who comes to Jesus will be satisfied and secure for all of eternity. How is God calling you to respond to His Word this morning? If, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know where you stand in your walk with the Lord, your first step is to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. These promises are for whoever, whoever comes to Jesus. And I want to invite you to do that this morning. Whoever comes to Him will have eternal satisfaction, eternal security, and eternal life. And as I said earlier, it's very simple to do so. You don't have to be holy. You just have to be hungry. If you know, if you're sitting in your seat this morning and you know that the one that you need is Jesus, the bread of life, the one who can satisfy you, that's Him, and that you need to come to Him, then you can do that by just simply confessing that to Him. Jesus, I know. I've sinned against You. I believe You died for me, that You rose from the dead. 
And I want to come to you as the bread of life. I want to come to you because I know that you'll keep me and that you'll bring me safely into your kingdom. And if you decide to do that this morning, I really, we really want you to come and talk to us about that because that's really just the first step. There's no magic prayer that you pray or anything like that. Um, it's the first step in a, in a journey of following Jesus. And you can't do it alone. You need others to walk beside you. So we would love to invite you to come. And uh, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Keith are going to be at the back of the room here in a moment. Um, and I'm actually going to ask Mark to go ahead and come on up. And as we're playing, if, if, if you want to talk to somebody about surrendering your life to Jesus, I want to plead with you to come and talk to one of us about that so we can help you take next steps. And if you are a follower of Jesus, let me, give, let me give you a couple possible ways God may be calling you to respond this morning. I think the, the most obvious one when we consider these promises is to praise God for such a glorious salvation, right? Think about this. Like, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We deserved condemnation and wrath. God was not obligated to do anything. He would have been perfectly just to leave us in our sin. But instead, just think about what He's promised us. He's promised to satisfy you for all of eternity, despite your repeated backslidings and wanderings. He's promised to keep you Eternally secure forever. Nothing will snatch you out of His hands. Forever. And He's promised to give you everlasting life in the new heavens, in the new earth, where there's going to be no more sin or sickness or decay or sorrow ever again, and you're going to get to dwell in His presence forever. What? What? Can somebody shout amen? amen. There we go. Right. That's how we ought to respond. With praise, with thanksgiving. Perhaps the Lord may be calling you this morning to turn your eyes back on Jesus. Maybe you've been looking past Him or you've been looking to Jesus as the means to an end and you'd admit, Pastor, I think what I've been doing is I've been looking to Jesus to give me something else that can satisfy me, but I know I'm reminded this morning only Jesus can satisfy me. Confess that to Him. He's not going to cast you out. You can come to Him in your fears, in your backslidings, in your failures, confess them. And maybe the Lord's calling you to share these promises with someone this week. Again, the invitation is to whoever comes. Who is the whoever in your life that needs to come to Jesus this week? Who do you know in your life that's vainly searching for satisfaction in the things of this world? Who do you know in your life that's anxiously trying to please God by their own works and needs to learn of this rest that they can have in Jesus, the one who will hold them fast for all of eternity and never let them go. Who can Jesus invite through you this week? An easy way to do this is just meet up with somebody for coffee or call somebody on the phone and say, hey, I want to share some, just some amazing news I heard from you this week or some amazing promises. Can I share something with you? And just read this passage to them. What do you think about that? And have a conversation. It's very simple. Very simple. I'm going to pray briefly, and then um, I want to invite you to spend some time just praying and reflecting. And, and, and as we sing the closing song, if you need to pray with somebody, we'll be at the back, and you can come and speak with us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for these great and precious promises. Lord, I pray that there's any this morning that don't know you, 
that today if they hear your voice that they would not harden their hearts but that they would they would respond to this gracious invitation from you Lord to come and to receive eternal satisfaction eternal security and eternal life and God may these promises encourage and build up and, and fill your people with faith with joy with peace with endurance in any circumstance. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.